everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Box Out. Hope everyone's doing great. There's been some, some more phenomenal basketball being played in the bubble in Orlando with the NBA restart. And I think we should just get right into it, not waste any time. There's a lot of stuff going around the league. We can probably get started with some disheartening news injury-wise with uh, Jonathan Isaac and Jaron Jackson Jr. going down for the rest of the season. And these are these are pretty critical injuries. Uh, Corey, you, you want to you go in on what happened with them? For sure. I mean, they're both teams that that are toward the bottom of the standings. You know, Magic have their spot secure, but Memphis, I I think Memphis, this takes a pretty big toll on their chances for the play-in because they are already struggling with Jaron Jackson Jr. healthy and now with him out. You know, their depth is a question too. It's going to be interesting how such a young team with a new coach in such a situation like the bubble, how they react in my opinion. But I feel like both of these injuries, man, they suck. You hate to see anyone get hurt especially in a time where basketball was gone for a while i'm sure these guys were working really hard to get back in the flow and then just like that the season gets cut short yeah jaron jackson tore his meniscus in that game versus new orleans terrible he was huge for memphis the whole entire season so far in, in, the, in these three games that they've played even though they're they're all in three so far in the in the seeding games, they would be getting blown out if it wasn't for Jaron Jackson. I think he's been their most consistent and best player so far in these three games. He's averaging twenty five points a game, almost two blocks. But the thing about Jaron Jackson that's that's so vital for this team is he spaces the floor so well. They have a guy like John Moran who's always constantly on a high motor, getting to the rim, getting to the basket, trying to create for himself and teammates. When you have your big man out of the paint and out of the three-point line, it just creates so much more space for everyone else. John Moran can drive without having to worry about a center being in the paint. And if a center does come in, they have shooters all over the court, especially Jaron Jackson Jr., who's been who's been shooting lights out from three so far. So I think this is they're going to miss him a lot, especially since they're trying to get that last seed in, in, in the West, trying to force the play-in game so that they only have to win once instead of twice. And it's looking kind of slow for them, honestly. Jonathan Isaac, who sprained his left knee back in in the winter when the season was still going regularly before COVID, he sprained his left knee, was out for the rest of the season. And for some reason, Orlando decided to bring him back in the restart right now in Orlando. And it's it was confusing to me because Orlando's not a team that's going to make any noise in the playoffs, even at a fully healthy team. I mean, they're most likely going to face either Milwaukee or Toronto. And I don't see them being, beating either of those teams, even with Jonathan Isaac. So they, they brought back Jonathan Isaac, and he was on a minutes restriction for a while. He looked very well, though. He was hitting his shot. His three-point um, shot definitely improved. Still plays elite defense. But he had that, 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 that uh, knee brace on his left knee that he was favoring. And it was just a late game. They were already up by 30 points versus Sacramento. It's a no-contact play, and he just tears his ACL in a meaningless game, in, in meaningless minutes. It was just so sad to see a guy like that who was really, you could see him improving every day. And just another injury for him. And I hope his career doesn't doesn't pan out to be full of injuries. It was a bigger year for him too. I mean, breakout year. I thought he was an all-defense candidate earlier before the injury, right? It's, it's, it's tough to see, man, because it's the same knee that he hurt earlier in the year. Made him miss 31 of the regular season games toward the end. I know if you guys play fantasy basketball, he, he was huge with your defensive stats, steals and blocks. 
but it's it's tough, man. You're right too. It's both teams are like I said, lower toward the bottom, but still th- these injuries they suck, man. Let's go to a little more of a bright spot in the NBA right now. The Phoenix Suns and Devin Booker specifically. This team has galvanized around Devin Booker, around their coach Monty Williams, and they've really they really came off the ground running in Orlando. They're 3-0 so far. They beat Sacramento, Dallas, and just recently, the Clippers on a Devin Booker game winner over Kawhi and Paul George. What a shot. What a shot. And I know that you're a big Monty Williams guy, and I want to hear, I think personally, he's transformed this entire franchise uh, with this. They've always had these just horrendous coaches at the helm for some reason. And I've always respected Monty as a coach. And I want to I want to hear your thoughts on on what he's doing with his team right now. I mean, the Suns had a great stretch in the beginning of the season, but I think their youth showed towards the middle and before the season was suspended. But Monty Williams, he's always been that type of guy to change the culture. And Robert Sarvid, Suns owner, always very questionable decision making. You know, he's he's up there with my boy James Dolan and some of the worst owners in the league. Possibly. It's it's nice to see, though, with Monty, especially coming back after his wife's death and that terrible accident. They have Aiden, DeAndre Aiden, Devin Booker. They signed Kelly Oubre to that extension. They have a nice core there, especially with their past coach, Igor Kokoskov, who's on the Sacramento Kings now as assistant coach. It's nice to see the Suns actually getting back. You know, they have a tough road ahead in the bubble. They are 3-0 and so far. Devin Booker's carrying them. But I think it's it's hurting without Kelly Uber. Kelly Uber's out for the year. Didn't didn't come to the bubble to play with his injuries. Do you see them getting into that contention for the play-in? I don't think it's impossible. They're only looking at the stands right now. They're only a game and a half back of the ninth seed. The only problem is the schedule. They play Indiana, Miami, Oklahoma City, Philly, and Dallas. So they can't really beat anyone, and that directly is in front of them. That would that would help them get over them. That's the only issue. But they're playing extremely great basketball right now. Devin Booker is playing at such a high level. I've been a Booker fan. I mean, you can attest to this. I've been a Booker fan ever since he came into the league. You have. You have. You have. I'll give you that. I love the way he plays. The only problem I always had with him was the Suns were always a bad team. Always, yeah. That. And you can't really you can't really put the blame on him because the Suns are just such a, a poorly run organization that they never really put the pieces around him or the coaching around him to help him succeed. And I gave him a lot of flack for it before, even though maybe he didn't deserve all of it. I still love him as a player, and I still do. But now look at this year, what James Jones, the general manager, has done. He's really put a, a solid group of guys around him. And just a quick quick thought off topic here. A lot of people are on the Suns for trading away TJ Warren for cash considerations. And now he's becoming this like, you know, bubble star overnight, uh, as we'll, you know, we'll talk about a little later. But people have to remember the Suns had, or and still have, so many wing players. T.J. Warren, he signed a four-year extension in the fall of uh, 2017. And the Suns really needed the cap space to go out and get guys at other positions that are going to help them. Ricky Rubio. Ricky Rubio is, is a huge addition because they needed a point guard next to Booker. And he's been great. Ricky Rubio's been great. Yeah, before Monty Williams, Devin Booker was really forced to play the point guard of the team because they just they had these random guards playing point guard. Tyler Eulis, Ellie Okobo, just random guys that 
that are not going to help Devin Booker evolve to the player he is and should be and his, for, and his ceiling. And Ricky Rubio is a guy that just pass first point guard, can score the ball, plays defense. He's a perfect complement, I think, to Devin Booker. So they had to get Ricky, a guy like Ricky Rubio to pay him. You knew they were gonna they were they were gonna extend Kelly Oubre and give him another couple of years because he he's a great player. He's 24 years old and the Wizards basically gave him away for nothing to the Suns, and he's been great for them. I think he has a him and Devin Booker have a great future together. And then they also had to pay their first round picks. They had to pay Cameron Johnson, who they just got, who's a knockdown shooter. And then they also had to trade for Aaron Baines, who has actually been putting up great numbers for them. In backup of Cam of DeAndre Ayton, and even when Ayton was out with the suspension, he was filling in quite nicely. So even though the people want to make fun of the Suns and you know poke fun of them, and it's great for jokes, but the Suns have made a pretty pretty damn good roster, and they let go of T.J. Warren. But honestly, I don't see where T.J. Warren fits on this team. There's a lot of people on this team that get buckets already, and I think again to your point with Monty Williams, I think he's really transformed Devin Booker into. Not just a scorer like everyone thinks he is. His assists are the same as they were last year. But honestly, I mean, I wa- I just rewatched that that Suns Clippers game today. This guy is making the right reads. It was a tie game in the fourth quarter with 145 left. Devin Booker gets a screen from Aiton, and usually it's a pull up jumper off a screen. 99% of the time last year for Devin Booker on that kind of play, on a screen he pulls up for the jump shot, especially in a tie game late in the fourth quarter. But he makes a drop-down pass to Aiden, who's, who's pretty much open for a layup, gets the and one, and just those kind of plays show the growth and maturity of Devin Booker, who could have easily taken that, that pull-up jumper, but gets the easy layup plus the foul. And he was just he had 35 points last night, but literally all of the points are within the offense. He's not forcing anything, which is, the, the I think, the, the, the best part about how he's playing right now. I think Monty has really... Helped him mature. And this kid is going to be in conversations for top two shooting guards in the league, if he isn't already, pretty soon, when the Suns are going to start winning more games. I mean, I've been guilty, definitely for sure, of of thinking about Booker and, and if he's really that great of a player. Because the Suns and Booker are so negatively associated in my mind. And I feel like a lot of other people, especially with them being in the West, tough, tough part of the league and and they're they, it's been consecutive years where they were struggling but then bring in Monte Williams right back to Monte Williams that Ricky Rubio signing I don't think anyone expected it Ruby had such a great year with the Jazz last year I don't think anyone expected the Jazz to trade for Mike Conley either I thought Rubio was going to stay I feel Quinn Snyder had Ricky Rubio playing at such a high level but I feel Ricky Rubio is playing even at a higher level now with with Monte Williams and just like like you said, I agree. You're you're leading that team, being a true point guard, being someone who's even though like you said he he's caught a lot of flack for being kind of soft, that European type of guy, not aggressive, blah blah blah. But he still is leading that team, and the Suns are definitely a better team with him on the floor. And like you said, you can tell that Booker's game is being elevated with him, and I feel this is something for years to come. You know, being a Knicks fan. There's a there was a slight connection, slight rumors, slight slight hope of getting Devin Booker to the Knicks with this Leon Rose connection that he had, but I, I'm not I'm not banking on it because Monty Williams was changing this team, and the culture, and I feel it's gonna make Booker stay, it's gonna convince Booker that the Suns are 
making an effort to win with him at the helm. And I'm feeling, and I'm, I like the outlook. It'll be hard still in the West, as we know. We know next year, Warriors are coming back. I'm sure other teams that are in the playoffs now won't be next year. But I think it'll be interesting to see, and I hope for the best with them in the bubble this year. Yeah, but last point on Ricky Rubio before um, before we split, before we change topics. I think that Rubio gets a lot of doesn't doesn't get the necessary love and respect from the league that he deserves. He's one of the smartest defenders in the league. He might not be physically capable of defending, you know, the best player on on, on opposing team, but he get, he gets in there, he gets his hands all over the place. He's a smart guy. He reminds me of Kyle Lowry on defense, where he just makes the right play all the time. And then for offensively, I think this is great for Devin Booker to have a guy like this who is just, you know, gets 10 assists on any given night, just a complete pure point guard. And even though Devin Booker is already way better than, than Rubio has ever been, Devin Booker can learn a lot from the way that Rubio play makes. And I think really Devin Booker can really turn into a James Harden type of player offensively where he can just run the entire offense as a point guard in a shooting guard body. And I'm excited to see Booker's growth. I'm so happy he has Rubio and Monty Williams to help him go in the right direction. He's so young, such a bright future, and I think I think he's going to take the league very soon in his hands. To close on that, Ricky Rubio throughout his career has averaged close to two steals a game and almost eight assists per game, which I don't think many people know. He is a legit, legit point guard in this league. I don't care what anybody says. Moving on, TJ Warren. Or TJ Jordan. You know, you may have your own conversations about who you think is the greatest of all time, whether it's LeBron, Jordan, Kobe, Bill Russell. But I think it can be said that TJ Warren is the GOAT scorer of the NBA bubble in Orlando. TJ Warren has been phenomenal. For those who have lived under a rock for the past four or five days, TJ Warren in Indiana's first game versus Philly in the bubble dropped a light 53 points. Just some light. 20 of 29 field goals. 20 of 29, hit 9 out of 12 threes, 53 points, most of them on Ben Simmons, who was considered to be a top-tier elite defensive player. For those people who thought that, that was a fluke, you know, this guy's not. He's a scorer. He had a great game. He just followed it up with two performances with 34 and 11, with four blocks and three steals, on 14 and 26 shooting. And then last night versus Orlando, he had 32 points on a 13 and 17 shooting. This guy is a bucket, a walking bucket. I don't know if you've seen the shots that he's taking, but he's just straight jacking from three and every, everywhere. He's averaging 65% from the field, 60% from three. He's averaging 40 points per game, 119 points over, over a three-game span. I mean, he's he's putting up ridiculous numbers, and Indiana's 3-0 in the bubble also, which is crazy because they don't have Sabonis. Oladipo missed the game, Brogdon missed the game, and TJ Warren is showing that he is the alpha right now on this team. And I think what this this actually shows a really a bigger picture for me is that there's no fans, there's no distractions. These guys are basically playing like how the regular people would go into a gym and play five on five. And this kind of game greatly benefits guys like TJ Warren who strictly get buckets. There's, they don't have to worry about missing shots and the fans and everything. They're just playing their game. And you see, you're going to see a lot of these these guys who, I'm not going to say they're nobodies, but who aren't on the, you would never picture them scoring 50 points. And they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna get their, their fair share of buckets throughout, throughout these next few weeks. 
I wonder if the Sabonis injury is actually like opening up more opportunity for Warren, and it's just him stepping up too. Is he is he playing the four right now? The paces of their, their lineup is Brogdon, Warren, Holiday, Oladipo, Turner. So Warren is at the four. I guess it's opening up. It's opening up the floor for Warren. Sabonis he he does his job differently with the way he playmakes. So I guess it's it's a different type of game for them right now, and it's working. I guess McMillan changed the game plan with Sabonis being out. I don't think Sabonis is expected to play. Yeah, it has opened up the floor for him a lot. And I'll be honest, I'm not really sure what else to say about the Pacers. In my eyes, they're just so boring. They're a well-run team. It's just their style of basketball, man. It's it's not as... They are well-rounded, but... And they have, you know, Oladipo, Brogdon, Turner. But, you know, let's move on to the next topic because I'm already bored. So in that same game that TJ Warren dropped 53... Philadelphia Sixers were having some trouble on the sidelines during the game. Shake Milton got into an argument with Joel Embiid during a timeout. Embiid went on to say after the game it was just miscommunications. They had to communicate more. But if you've seen the video on Twitter, it, it definitely did not look good. Especially after it being the first game in the bubble. Sixers did not look good. And we and I know me and, me and Steven had you know championship aspirations for them in the bubble. Then Shake Milton leads up that argument with a game winner, big shot against the Spurs on the following Monday. And for someone that wasn't starting early in the year, Brett Brown changes the lineup, puts Ben Simmons at the four, starts Shake Milton. This is something big for the Sixers, especially coming off a very important win against the Spurs. I think Corey put it a little bit lightly. When he said that there's a disagreement with Shake and Joel, basically, Shake Milton got screened off and really didn't get back into the play, which basically lets an open score for the Pacers. And Embiid just was like talking to him, letting him know that he that he messed up, and throws the ball really lackluster to him on the inbound, which gets stolen away, and then the Pacers score again, which leads to a timeout. You could see on the sideline that Shake Milton and Joel are going at it back and forth talking. You couldn't see what Joel Embiid was saying, but the reaction that Shake gave off, and the, the like, he literally lunges at him. You could tell Joel Embiid might have been pretty disrespectful at, at that moment, saying something to, to the to the young guy. And I don't blame Embiid either. And Milton is has really no place to question Joel Embiid. And Embiid is is just Joel Embiid. You know, you know that's gonna happen. Yeah, and so Milton finished the game with zero points, had five fouls. Only took one shot, and the the Sixers lost to a, a shorthanded Pacer team, and not to mention Warren, the 53 points. So Milton comes back the next game versus San Antonio, and this was a back-and-forth game. I watched this game, and Philly really didn't look like they had anything going. Last seconds, Spurs miss a free throw, actually, to potentially go up by three. So it's a two-point game with about 10 seconds left. They inbound to Milton, and they're trying to get the ball to Embiid in the post-up, and... Milton is left wide open for some reason. Takes one dribble, pulls up a three, knocks it down. They take the lead with about about six seconds left. They end up winning the game. Milton puts up 16 points, the game winner. And the first person to greet him after he hits that three is, you guessed it, Joel Embiid. Which, you know, it had to be, he had to feel good about that for him because coming off that, that tough, that tough, game with indiana with the with the arguing and the, the foul situation he had it was good to see milton 
get something going for him. I think this is the positive momentum that Philadelphia needs going into these next five games for the playoff seedings. And I think it'll be very vital to their success throughout the playoffs how this positive momentum gets them going. This t- That type of shot could be a s- literal season changer for them if they keep it up. They've looked awful, awful. Even that game in San Antonio, even though they won, they were just playing awful basketball. It was embarrassing. They played so well in the scrimmages. I mean, we were so excited about this team. Yep. Watching Ben Simmons at the four, Horford off the bench, Simmons shooting threes finally. He hasn't taken one three yet in, in, in the actual games that count, which is killing me. And then so they, they come out versus Indiana and San Antonio and just play a horrible basketball, so inconsistent. Whenever Embiid goes off the floor, they're just a completely different team, so much worse. And Simmons is not playing that great. Horford's not playing that great. But the, the Shake Milton game winner, things like that are what spark a team to go on a run. And it's it's perfect timing. There's six games left for them in the seeding games before playoffs. And I think that if they can get some good momentum and listen, people are already getting up on Philly because they're so sick and tired of having hope for them and then everything falling apart. But I'm still sticking with this team. And I think that this I'm still gonna watch every game. And I think that this Milton three, this game winner, is really gonna energize them and push them to a playoff run. And honestly, what's been forgotten with how bad Philly has been playing is how good Joel Embiid has been. They haven't had any national TV games, so it hasn't gotten much recognition yet. But the first, uh, I mean, versus, versus Indiana, Joel Embiid put up 41 points and 21 rebounds with three blocks. I mean, those are Shaq numbers. And they lost, but I mean, and in the second game, he puts up 27, 9, and 5. And he's been playing like a man on a mission. He's been dominating on the inside. You don't want to wake this team up. I know I keep saying it, but you don't want to wake this team up. To cap off this episode, we want to look at the standings really quick. Everyone has played three games through the bubble. These are the standings as of Wednesday morning. In the West, the Lakers clinch the first seed. They will end up playing whoever gets the eighth or ninth. Whoever gets in from the play-in with the eighth and ninth seed. The Grizzlies seem to be fading away. We talked about Jaron Jackson Jr. hurt. Their future, their future playoff hopes do not look too good right now. Portland Trailblazers, blazing hot. Carmelo Anthony again, three to the dome. Melo, big win against the Rockets. Spurs that tough tough loss against Philly might hurt them even more. Even though Demar Derozan has been playing like crazy with no Lamarcus Aldridge. The Pelicans, big win against. The Grizzlies, who are again fading. And the Suns, also. They are still in contention in the fight for the 8th and ninth seed. Going to the East. Big storyline. As you know, Bucks have the first seed pretty much locked up. I think the big fight here, though, is the third seed. Heat had a big win against the Celtics on Tuesday night. It'll be interesting to see if they can get that third seed. Because, as you know, in the second round of the playoffs, the fourth seed... At the fourth and fifth seed matchup, whoever plays that matchup has to face the first seed, which are the Milwaukee Bucks. And I'm pretty sure if you're a team in the NBA, you'd probably want to avoid the best best team with the best record as long as possible in your quest for reaching the NBA Finals. So if the Heat can actually get to the third seed, do you think that'll be easier for them to get to potentially Eastern Conference Finals? 
Well, yeah, you wanna you wanna avoid Milwaukee by all means. So if that means that you gotta face, you gotta go to Toronto and Philly back to back in rounds. I think you take that all day versus then trying to face Milwaukee because again, no one wants to face Giannis. No one wants to face that team. That is an extremely talented and, and well coached team. You know who the Bucks actually should be afraid Don't of? Don't say it. The Brooklyn Nets. Don't let the Nets get hot. As you guys, as you guys know, don't Stephen let. Oh, my bad. As you guys know, Stephen is a die-hard Nets fan. I question how he became a Nets fan his whole life. Don't let the Nets get hot. What a game yesterday afternoon. The Nets rested their top three players, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, and Joe Harris. Were severely undermanned as is. Our starting lineup consisted of Tyler Johnson, Garrett Temple. Rodion's Kuruks, Timothy Luwawu Cabarro, and at center, Lance Thomas. And we managed to put up 73 points in the first half versus the Bucks and their starters with Giannis Middleton and Eric Bledsoe. 73 points versus them, the starters. And yeah, Mike Budenholzer tried to save face. And he decided to bench Giannis and, and Bledsoe and Middleton, so it wouldn't it wouldn't look that bad losing to the Nets. You know, when people turn the game on, they're gonna see bench all like the whole bench in the game benched, for the Bucks. Like he benched them. It was it was clearly load management. Relax. Yeah, but he was trying to save face. And at the end of the game, he said it was all part of the plan. Yeah. All right, listen, bud. You lost to a superior team. It's okay. You don't have to. You take the loss. The Nets are the but better team. It's fine. Steven genuinely thinks that the Nets are the better team. All I'm saying is the Bucks are trying to avoid the Nets at all costs in the first round. They don't want to see them in the first round. And I wouldn't either, honestly, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm the Bucks, Most of this is uh, a little over-exaggeration. Don't let the Nets get hot. All right? Because we, we beat the best team in the league. We're coming for that seventh seed. And I just want you guys to remember one name. One name. Chris Chioza. All right? Chris Chioza. Uh, but, I, but actually, on a serious note, before we finish up here, I wanted to give a special shout-out to Jamal Crawford. Back in the league, getting buckets, dropping dimes. He only played five minutes for the Nets yesterday and then, and then tweaked his hamstring. But it was great to see him back on the court and uh, doing what he does best. But anyway, all right, guys. Well, that's going to be it for this episode of Box Out. We went through a lot as usual. And uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in. If you guys don't mind, go follow our Instagram and Twitter at BoxOutPod. You know, we're going to be putting out more info soon on a potential raffle. So if you want, please give us a follow. Stay tuned. We will update that regularly with episodes, with uh, information about episodes. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review. And we appreciate all the continuous support. We'll be back on Tuesday, and I'm sure a lot's going to change from today and Tuesday. So we'll see you guys next week. Peace, guys. Later.